It's Wednesday, August 24th, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the studio in the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my colleagues, Kathy Kiley and Ernest Perry. We're back this week after a few weeks off, starting another academic year and another season of Views of the News here on KBIA. And on our program this week, we've got Sunday's final edition of CNN's Reliable Sources. It was one of only several changes on the media beat this week. Now that we're back with you again, we're going to talk about media criticism, its place and its future. We'll go north of the border where a beloved Canadian news anchor is now out of work. Is it because she decided it was time to ditch the hair color and let her hair go naturally gray? And we're going to be talking a lot about college football today, including the Big Ten Conference's new television deal that's worth billions and billions, with a B, of dollars. There's hopefully a lot more that we'll get to before our half hour is up today. But now that we are back after what was a five-week break for this show, we've had a chance, the three of us, for our, our staff back in the control room to reset, to relax, and to come back ready to talk about what's going on out there, especially on the media beat. What I wasn't exactly expecting was that when we'd come back here today, the changes on the media beat would be our biggest story for the day of our return. Last Thursday, NPR's David Folkenflik broke the story that Brian Stelter was out at CNN and that Sunday there would be the final edition of the cable news network's longest running show, Reliable Sources. It dated back to the start of the Gulf War 30 years ago. First, it analyzed the media coverage of that war, later focusing on the Valerie Plame affair, the Iraq War, and the naming of Deep Throat. All of those seem so long ago now. They also covered the nation's first black president and most recently, Donald Trump's administration and the COVID pandemic. Even more surprising about the cancellation of this show was that there was going to be that farewell episode on Sunday morning. Ernest, when we were talking about this on Friday, you were shocked when I said that there was going to be a farewell and that Stelter would be there to host it. Let's see if we can take a listen to part of what he said in the final moments of Sunday's program. So this show's going away, but there's going to be so many more. We need to have room for media criticism and debate and discussion, and we will. So much of the media ecosystem in 2022 is garbage, but so much of it is spectacular. The hard part, sorting out the treasure from the trash. These are thorny, complicated things. I know I didn't, never had all the answers. I didn't even always have all the questions, but it was the gift of a lifetime to get to confront these issues on international television with the backing of CNN. Here's what I do know. I know it's not partisan to stand up for decency and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. It's required, it's patriotic. We must make sure we don't give platforms to those who are lying to our faces. But we also must make sure we are representing the full spectrum of debate and representing what's going on in this country and in this world. But it's not just Brian Stelter. Monday morning, Margaret Sullivan penned her final uh, column for the Washington Post, leaving the paper to teach at Duke and to write a series of fiction books about a laid off journalist who's solving crimes. So I guess it's a good thing the three of us are still here because <laughs> it seems like the two biggest 
outlets that people in our country were relying on to provide a peek into the world of journalism and what it should be and what it is. They're both gone in less than 24 hours of each other. Yeah, I, I did find it interesting that, you know, CNN, I mean, interesting but not surprising mm-hmm. that CNN uh, went this route. Uh, I thought that maybe they would, would maybe keep the show, tone it down a little bit, but to to fully eliminate it was, was a little, uh, um, that was a little surprising. Um, I think a lot of it goes back to what's happening, and we've talked about it a lot, what's happening in in, in the news media right now, and it is this further partisan, further, further polarization, and now you have new owners of CNN, uh, which is, uh, and they're basically coming in and saying, hey, we want to go more center, we want to take CNN sort of back to this, we're just going to report the news and we're going to let people decide. I'm not sure whether or not that's going to work out in the long run. The irony is that I think um, Stelter, as a media critic, is the one person on CNN who really had license, I think, to to have an opinion. Um, And so while I can certainly see that the owners would want their news people to maybe be a little less opinionated, the idea of your media critic um, it, it's it's a mystery as to why this is happening. I mean, I think there there still hasn't been a really good answer, and Stelter didn't give uh, much illumination. No, which either. really and surprised me. I thought yeah. maybe with the opportunity to have that last show, he would be a little bit more open about at least his thoughts on on what led to this. But that's not what we saw. Yeah, so we really don't know what happened. I think the two departures are different. I think they're Margaret, very different. Yeah, Margaret Sullivan was clearly going for uh, another opportunity. Um, she left the New York Times when she thought she was getting too close to the folks at the New York Times, which I thought was very honorable, um, and moved to the Washington Post. So I see this as sort of an evolution for her. But uh, but the idea of why Stelter, and he was canned. I mean, this wasn't a right. nice parting gift goodbye. It was He was canned. So I think there are a lot of questions still to be answered about why that happened. Some of the reporting that has come in there, some of that speculation is that he was a little slow on the take as media critic during the investigations into what was going on with Chris Cuomo, that he was really, really good when it came to criticizing Fox News, but not having that same uh, level of distance, if you will, when also reporting on and criticizing what was happening in his own uh, publication, which is something that Margaret Sullivan was always very quick to do when she was at the Washington Post, also at the New York Times when that happened, that being in that media critic role requires you to really take that 3,000 foot that 3,000 foot view. Yeah. It, it does. And, and I will even say that is when the two of you aren't available to be here for travel or other conflicts, that's one of the reasons I never approach one of our other faculty members who are involved in the uh, our newsroom properties here at the J School. Because I want to make sure that we are all coming at that as well with that independent approach and somebody who's not involved in any kind of the editorial or programming decisions made in those properties. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, the fact that I think it was the, the, the Chris Corn uh, incident mm-hmm. that 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 sort of began the slow movement of of Brian Stelter and and that program not being as critical. Uh, 
of other news organizations. He was very, still very critical of Fox, but he wasn't critical of CNN and he wasn't as critical to, say, the Washington Post or the New York Times or others out there. And I, I just, to me, I think he lost a little bit during that whole episode. And I, was, I wasn't sure whether it was him or he was getting pressure from those above him to say, hey, don't go into what's happening within our own shop those for legal reasons. Jeff Zucker. Jeff Zucker and others. Uh, you know, it could have been legal issues. It could have been who knows. Well, but. I also think, I mean, let's face it, there is a little bit of siege mentality in oh, a lot of newsrooms because, and for good reason. Um, it, newsrooms are under incredible threat, uh, particularly from political figures who want a demagogue. And um, and so I think there's a feeling within newsrooms of like, hey, we got enough people chewing on us. Why do we have to do their dirty work for them? Um, and I think you saw a little bit of that when the New York Times did away with its public right. uh, critic. They said there's enough criticism going on uh, because in the new digital world where everybody's a publisher, there are enough people who are able to criticize us. We don't need to have an in-house critic. Now, I'm not saying that was the right approach, but yeah. I think that's an insight into the mentality. It, it is an insight, but I, that's actually kind of where I wanted to go next with this, if anyone were to be looking at the scripts in front of us. Though, everybody is a publisher. Everybody has mm -hmm. that phone. Everybody is a critic, because everybody has an opinion and a platform upon which to share that. But much as that debate about journalists and bloggers and our bloggers, journalists, that we've been having now for almost two decades... Let's talk about the nuance of true media criticism and what that looks like. And should everybody be a media critic in that true definition of the word from that, that scholarly standpoint? Well, I mean, here's where the, 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 the problem with that definition comes from, mm -hmm. because I think we're, you know, we're defining it all over the place. And I think it's, it's a product that that changing definition is a product of the polarization that we have in the in the media e, uh, eco space right now. Uh, you know, you've got not only do you have the major players Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and 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 the other networks. Now you've got all of the the specialized uh, media operations out there that are are taking place within with within uh, online space. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you've got the various both left, right, and center who have their own uh, space in there and they're all criticizing each other and they're also criticizing the media. So it makes it difficult for anyone to determine is this what we traditionally call criticism or is this just one political force going after another, a partisan force going after another. So if you're a journalist and you were one of those people who watched reliable sources or watched Media Buzz on Fox News Channel with Howard Kurtz or... Um, on the media, where and who do you listen to when those when those criticisms are coming out there so that you are constantly upping your game? Well, I think there are a lot of uh, journalism organizations that do this work. There are There's uh, Reynolds Journalism Institute, there's the Pointer Institute, there's the Columbia Journalism Review. I mean, there are a lot of really well-respected organizations there's that I think... There's also the guy with his phone, right? And how do you focus that attention on... Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think, that, you know, what you said is mm -hmm. really right. It's 
don't lose your focus. Mm -hmm. And I think if you um, respond to every critic, mm -hmm. um, you really become, uh, you are no longer an observer, you're a player in the game. And so I think one of the things, as Ernest said, this has become so politicized that I think it's really difficult for journalists not to take the bait. Right. And I think in some respects, that's what CNN did. I mean, let's face it, Fox's model is extremely successful commercially. Mm. And so everybody wanted to succeed. Everybody wanted to uh, follow what they did. But they also took the bait. You know, there's a red flag being waved in front of you, and you've got to respond. And I think it's professional journalists need to stay professional. Well, really, I think right now the, the one space that we're going to have uh, – the general audience is going to have is is NPR. Mm -hmm. You've got David Flo Conflict and you've got Eric Diggins, Eric and Diggins. they're they're going to be the ones that people who those who who listen to NPR they're going to get what they're going to get that straight across the board traditional definition of media criticism from there. I'm not sure where else you're going to be able to find that unless you start tapping into those journalism organizations, which most. Regular people don't Lay do. Lay people do not. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's keep going because I do have some topics on the media beat I want us to talk about and perhaps criticize. Let's go up to Canada where viewers are upset. One of their favorite reporters and anchors is gone from the CTV airwaves. This is Lisa Laflamme. For 35 years, I have had the privilege of being welcomed into your homes to deliver the news on a nightly basis. So I felt you should hear this directly from me. On June 29th, I was informed that Bell Media made a, quote, business decision to end my contract, bringing to a sudden close my long career with CTV News. I was blindsided and am still shocked and saddened by Bell Media's decision. I was also asked to keep this confidential from my colleagues and the public until the specifics of my exit could be resolved. That has now happened. So if you're watching our program, you can see video that shows you that the biggest change is that Laflamme, is, she's on the anchor desk right now at CTV from just a few years ago is what you're looking at. And the big difference here is that her hair is a deep chestnut brown. Now, Bell Media isn't coming right out, Kathy, and saying that this was about her choice to naturally go gray, but... That's what's kind of being insinuated here. And they have begun an internal review on what the processes were. Yeah. I mean, what else has changed? Uh, that I think that's what everybody went to. And um, what's interesting, that was a very different exit speech than the one Brian Stelter gave, right? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's a reporter telling it like it is. And um, She and does go on deeper into the video to say about, like, the importance of journalism for democracy. So there is some yes, of the same yeah, parts well, of it. But, absolutely. Yeah, but, ahead, yeah, but, uh, but I, think, uh, I think a lot of women particularly have focused on this because uh, certainly, I mean, we know this. Uh, our our young journalists know it. Women are appearance is focused on so much uh, for for women journalists, particularly women on TV, that um, you you really have to wonder. And you're not allowed. So what happens is you can be a terrific journalist, mm -hmm. 
And we normally would prize experience in a journalist. We do But in if male you journalists. look like you have had experience, suddenly you're not qualified. And, uh, and so there may be some other issues here, as there may be with Brian Stelter. Uh, more experienced people make more money. Um, but it, I, it's hard to imagine a man who is similarly circumstanced and qualified uh, being sh- shown that indignity. This is 2022, right? <laughs> yes. Time I, checked. I just checked. Yes, I mean, it is in fact 2022. we're still doing this? I mean, that's the, that's when I first saw this, I went like, you got to be kidding me. We're still doing this? I, I, I thought I, Canadians I, were supposed to be nicer. Yes. I almost just actually said you know, that. We're still I, doing this in Canada. I just <laughs> don't. I mean, I don't get it. Because here's the thing. You could come up with, with all the other reasons that you want to. The perception is that you terminated the contract mm-hmm. of one of your stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, that draws in a huge audience. And it's seen as among o- your most credible exactly. journalists. Yes. Because she decided to be who she is. And it has nothing to do with what she, you know, what she brings to the table and the journalism that she she's done for all of this time. You know, Ernest, I'm sitting here thinking about because I was about to say because I and then I realized what your answer was going to be. But the trust that the audience has in this woman, and I knew you were going to say to me, there is no trust. We don't have trust in the media. But we actually like that's why our audiences don't trust us, because as soon as they have someone who they really do believe in, they're gone for some of the most superficial reasons. Oh, this is a stupid reason. If this is the reason, this is a stupid reason. Okay, because it's going to come back to bite you now. Over it time, already is. Yeah, it already is. <laughs> I mean, over time, yeah. you're going to be able to maybe capture some of that audience back, but you just lost probably two, at least two generations of people who were there every night because this woman was delivering the news. And you've lost that because someone somewhere up at the top said, well, we can't have a woman on the air who's got gray hair. Uh, that That's what people are thinking, right? And that's what they're saying. And by the way, for those uh, listeners who couldn't see it, her gray hair is beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I wish I had the level of body and, and yeah, okay. We're well, it's, not on, get it's, into it's it. on our Link's blog. It People is. can go and go see check it. it out. I mean, yeah. check it out. But yeah, I just, I the, don't the big The big winner in this is the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, CBC, because people are just going to change channel from CTV if this is yeah. the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but oh, also kudos to her for being honest. Yes. Yeah. Now that she can be, because right. now a that journalist, she, I mean, she's yeah. I yes. got my deal, and I'm gonna straight up tell you, yeah, tell right. the public exactly what mm-hmm. happened. You know, so, <laughs> you're right. Okay. So another big business decision: the Big Ten Conference inked a media rights deal with Fox, CBS, and NBC that's worth a billion dollars a year over the next seven years. Now, this applies pretty much just to football and basketball, but it is remarkable, a deal of this size in college athletics. It's a huge deal because basically what it does is it solidifies what was already happening, Mm -hmm. which is the Big Ten and the SEC are the two major players in college sports right now, in particular football. 
football. And the fact that you, the fact that USC and UCLA are now going to move into the Big Twelve, which I'm st- or Big Ten. I'm still Big trying. 10, to, I'm still trying yeah, to wrap I'm my head around. Wrap my head around it too. Yeah, they're moving into the Big Ten. Michigan I mean, State, yeah, UCLA. No, why not? So that how that, many people are in the twelve, the ten? Right. Well, I mean, the number that that <laughs> yeah, number doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it, these are just the two big players. Yeah. So this is this is a huge deal because it does two things. Number one. You've got all the major media markets wrapped up between the SEC and and the uh, and, and the Big Ten now, so that's that's one thing. The other issue that it creates is that you've got all of these other smaller, uh, uh, at this point, smaller conferences that are having to jockey to see who's going to be number three. It could be the ACC, but this is not going to end. It, it, it ends this particular period of it, but you're going to have something else is going to have to happen with the rest of those conferences that are now left out of the bag. Well, it's really nice to see um, such a healthy interest in amateur <laughs> athletics. Amateur <laughs> athletics. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm just letting that word hang there for a second. Amateur. Um, yeah. <laughs> One of the things, though, you talk about the two big players. If you look at some of the stuff that's on our Lynx blog, this $1 billion per year, the SEC is still looking at $55 million. That's still, we know I'm not the numbers person, but that's still 45% more. Like, the SEC's got to be looking back here going, uh-oh, what's our next move? Well, their, their next move is they're, they're going to go out and they're going to probably be able to get more money the next Sidious, time. Sidious, Altius, Fortius. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, and and... You know what's going to happen really is they could go out and pull in other other teams that could then up the ante uh, in terms of the amount of money that's coming in. Um, but right now you've got those two big players, uh, and and they've pretty much cornered the market. The other thing so is so what that, are we waiting for? Stanford well, in the SEC. Well, I think well, well, you could have Stanford going. I I'm think joking. Could, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how hey, we get the West there was Coast a, brought there in was here. A, there was a story out earlier yeah. this week about Notre Dame going to the SEC, uh, which is I know, which, which <laughs> is dreaming. Yeah, I know. It was weird, but it was Oof. it was out there. It okay. was out there. But I mean, really, what 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 this what this this means is that with with these huge television yeah. contracts, with the name, image, and likeness issue going mm-hmm. on, you know, you got the transfer portal. The, what effectively is happening is that the NCAA itself has pretty much lost control. Mm-hmm. And it is really those big power conferences that are running college athletics right now. And, and going back to the amateurism, who's watching the store there? Because if the NCAA doesn't have any enforcement power, who has it? Is it going to be those conferences? Is it going to be the individual schools? Uh, so now, I mean, you, you have the potential to be moving into a almost, you know, Take amateur out of it, colleges themselves. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, colleges themselves are becoming semi-pro on a whole bunch of levels. Yeah, well, they're outproing the pros on some uh, on some measures, and I think that's the question. What message does that give to our? student athletes well i mean it's probably the message the student athletes have been saying for a while wait a minute you know we have not been benefiting from the huge amounts of money that are coming into college athletics and now that the courts have sided with us and are allowing us to do that we're going to now become as full participants as possible in and getting some of that money that's coming in there's one major player that is missing from this equation 
ABC and ESPN. And part of that that was interesting to me is, and, and as I'm talking through it a little bit more, maybe I have an idea of how this works, but how did they get left out, especially when you think of like the Big Ten Network or when you think about the SEC Network, that those are all baby ESPNs that the universities and the networks have a piece of. Well, the thing with ESPN, they were they were in on the initial conversations with the big with the Big 10. They have that huge mega contract with the SEC. They also have the 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 ACC. Mm-hmm. They could go and get get the, the, those other conferences. ESPN and ABC, they're doing fine. Uh, <laughs> we don't so need to worry about we them. Don't, we don't need to worry they're about okay. them because they're okay. They're <laughs> They'll okay. still be there tomorrow. Really, what what the the the, the players here? Fox yeah. Fox needed it. Fox was always in on the Big Ten. It was CBS and NBC that really needed to be in on it. And now that they're in, that's what raised that up to a billion dollars. But again. You know, it's it, it it really is the the conferences and the colleges in in those and universities that are part of that. How does this change that landscape? And that's that's going to be the next question. Well, I think some people may be crying for regulation. I mean, the NCAA didn't provide it, and so as you said, the ball was taken out of their court. And eventually, I think what will tend to happen, we certainly see it in politics, we see it in every sphere where you get this arms race, people are going to be crying out because it's just going to become unsustainable. And that's that's part of the problem. I mean, really, when you start looking at name, image, and likeness, you look at the transfer portals, the fact that players, now that the coaches themselves and athletic directors are talking about, we need to figure out some way to manage the transfer portal because you can't have players transferring in the middle of seasons and, and that sort of thing. I mean, what about the actual, or how are you, they going to class? I mean, well, what you know, what degree are they working on if they're transferring four that. times? Um, well, I have some thoughts on that. <laughs> While we're talking college football, in Big Ten college football, it's worth noting that legendary coach Urban Meyer is back with Fox Sports after a less than stellar run in the NFL. But the announcement of the hire was wrapped up in the Friday news dump when people announce news they don't really want to have noticed. On the surface, having Urban Meyer as a college football analyst sounds like it would be a great thing. He had a great run as a coach. He's worked as a broadcaster before. He has that name recognition. People know who he is. But there are a lot of people in the know who are giving this whole deal the side eye and saying he doesn't have a whole lot of credibility sitting at that table. Well, you know, he's walked away a couple of times. And uh, it's hard to imagine how somebody who's uh, kind of uh, taken a powder is going to be viewed as a credible commentator on his peers. Well, I mean, the issue with Urban Meyer is this. I mean, he's, he, he was at Florida. He walked away from that uh, at the end of his contract, but he walked away. Ohio State, he had similar issues there. A lot of it is that he puts a lot of effort and work into these jobs, and it, 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 it damages his, middle st- his mental stability, and it burns, it burns out him and his family, and he walks away. And that happened again with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So people are starting to question, hey, wait a minute, what, what are we doing here? But it speaks to mental health, and I think it's something that it would be good if he would address it uh, right off the top. Uh, That's a because great I think, idea. Because I think it would help not only his credibility, but also send a message out to others. Fox is really Fox Sports is really looking to build that name recognition, have him be a part of this. Is this the move to be able to compete with College Game Day? Is that going to ever even happen? 
I think it has the potential to happen now that they've got this contract. Okay. Uh, and they, the and Big Ten contract. They've got the Big Ten. Okay. They've got this Big Ten contract. They've got the other partners there. They can bring in the stars. Uh, they've got those marquee games. They 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 pretty much have the the ability to be able to compete with ESPN and the SEC in the three thirty Eastern time time slot, which is usually what what uh, what what is the big game that that comes okay. out. So now they have the ability to do that. Now they just need the time to build it up. It's good. They they can make a run at it, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, there, no institution is forever, right? right. And um, and so, but I think Ernest, what you said is is terrific about uh, Urban Meyer. If he were to confront that head on, it would really be an important message, I think, um, because the, everything we've been talking about in sports is all about intensity and go for it and and, and money. There are to- and money, yeah, more, 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 more. Right. That's what it's all about, and we know. As human beings and as educators, that is not a message for young people or anybody else. So I think if he were able to address that and acknowledge what happened, that would be very, very powerful. Right, right, right. Okay, well, we are just about out of time for today's program. I'd like to thank each of you for spending the last half hour with us. You can read more about each of the topics that we talked about today on our links blog. You'd be able to find that under both the programs and the podcast tabs at kbia.org. You can also be introduced to a new publication that's online only coming out of Kansas City. We didn't get a chance to talk about that today. But I'm going to bring it back next week in our program. We're going to talk about that. So get that preview now. We are also available wherever you get your podcast downloads, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at Views on KBIA. These are all great ways to watch and listen to our program again. Leave us comments or questions. Check back on Tuesdays and early on Wednesdays for previews about what we'll be talking about on our next program. I'd like to thank RJI's Travis McMillan for directing today's program, to Kyle Felling for handling our audio, and Tim Pilcher, who composed our original theme music. I'm Amy Simons. We'll be with you again next week for another Views of the News.